0: Kings, kids, warriors, if you are in second grade on down, you may be dismissed. to Junior church, ready, set, wait. Are you staying or going? Are you being forced against your will? You really want to stay? You are going to listen to me. For reals. All right. Uh, yeah, somebody get them a bulletin and a pen, because we're going to, they need something to doodle on, I'm telling you. You need a bulletin and a pen if you're going to sit in here. Eric's got it, yeah. (coughs) All right, I'm just going to focus on preaching to you two today, all the applications, no? preach to everybody? He just looked at me like, what? All right, come on up, my readers. Open to Proverbs chapter 24. If you've got a Bible, open her up. We're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. It's probably the hardest part for you to sit through. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Might be the easiest part. They're a lot cuter than I am, especially this one. This one. Here. Wiley and Eliza. <clears throat> there you go. Grandma will show you where to keep notes when we... Uh, see that slide up there? If it's underlined, that means you need to write it down in your bulletin. It's underlined. It goes in there. That's the way it rolls. Everybody else, we're in Proverbs chapter 24, so follow along as we read. What translations are we in today?
1: ESV. ESV
0: and and the NIV. All right, we're getting the tag team. Go.
1: Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might, for by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, in the gate he does not open his mouth, whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer, the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul, if you find it. There will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn his... Turn away his anger from him.
2: Do not fret because of evildoers, or be envious of the wicked. For the evildoer has no future hope, and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the king, my son. Do not join with rebellious officials. for For those too will send sudden destruction on them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause. Would you use your lips to mislead? Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed. I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man.
0: Proverbs 24. Before I launch into this, <clears throat> let me remind you that there have always been wars and rumors of wars since the days of Jesus. Um, God has a time and a plan for how he's carrying out the plan of the ages and the return of Christ. Christ. Israel has been at war for a very long time, on and off. We should always be looking for the appearing of Jesus' return. Not just when things seem to us from far away, things are on fire. They're always on fire. We just don't always see it. Even in today's coverage and media blasts, we can become a little numb to it, but there have always been wars and atrocities and earthquakes and famines all over the earth at all times. We are a people who are going to do this. Watch how we live our daily lives and not let the world and its evil and its evildoers cause us anxiety, worry, stress, and pain. If anything, it should motivate us to be a people who talk more about Jesus. If we sense the end is near, we don't need to tell people the end is near. We need to tell people, repent. We need to tell people, God is holy. You are not. Jesus is the answer. Respond now. Today is the day of salvation. That's our default response. Not, look at this, look at that, look at that sun. This is happening, this is happening, get ready. Buy gold, buy silver, buy bullions, buy bullets, buy water, buy food. Give the gospel if you really believe you are living in the end times, then you will share your faith with those who are perishing. And nothing you, will, you buy or stockpile will prevent the end from coming anyway. And you may last a little longer than some. But is that what our hope is in, living a little longer? Or is our, or is our heart cry, Come, Lord Jesus, fix it all. That's our hope. That's our faith. I'm not one to preach on current issues, but that's just a hot topic right now. Don't get sucked in. Steady on. Envy not. Fret not. This chapter 24 opens with um, some phrases that are really parallel to what we covered last week. Last week in chapter 23 was let not your heart envy sinners. And then this week, chapter 24, verse 1, be not envious of evil men. And it's going to come again uh, in verse 19, be not envious of the wicked. Don't envy the wicked. Like When the Bible says things multiple times over in the course of just a few pages, listen up. It's a really important message to not envy. to not not want what other people have, to not want their life. Well, their parents are better than my parents or their family is driving a better car. Well, they live in a better house or they have better toys and they, they look better. They're taller, they're shorter, they're wider, they're skinnier, whatever envy means, you want what they want. And the Bible says, don't live your life like that or you'll never be happy. If you always look at what other people have, you'll never be happy with what you have and you have a lot to be thankful for. Put, put your hand right here for just a second. Is your heart beating? You have something to be thankful for. Put your hand right here. Ooh, I just had a breath mint. That's a little, it made my eyes water. <laughs> yeah, I, some of you who didn't brush your teeth didn't put your hand up this morning. That's all that was a confession of right now. If you're breathing, there's breath. You have something to be thankful for. You are alive. You have something to give God. Your praise, your attention, your mind, your heart. Be not envious of evil men. And verses one and two explain why. First of all, they're evil, verse one. Don't desire even to spend time with them. For their hearts devise violence, they're violent. And their lips talk of trouble. So don't envy those who are evil, violent and trouble because all they are actually doing is tearing down their lives and tearing down the lives of everyone around them. Verse three is the contrast. By wisdom, a house is built. Well, I'm just gonna, how is a house destroyed? Uh, Verses one and two, evil, violence, and trouble. And so the, the Proverbs are trying to give you some practical guidelines. Don't be this kind of a person. Be this kind of a person. Don't focus on these things focus on these other things. And the language here in the first half of chapter 24 is very royal. I know we broke away from the king a long time ago, so we don't, we don't always catch these references. This, this part of Proverbs is written from a king to his sons and his grandsons who are going to be kings. It's very royal. Look, look at verse, verse four. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Uh, Rooms full of gold and silver and jewels, that's very very palace-like and royal-like. That's not normal. Verse, uh, verse Verse six, by wise guidance, you can wage war and an abundance of counselors, there is victory. That's royal language a king going to war for his kingdom, protecting his people. Verse 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. That's a royal responsibility, to protect your people. Not just protect yourself, not just hole up in the castle and hope it all blows over. Maybe throw some gold over the wall or poke it out the window and they'll go away. Get out there and fight for your people, protect your people. This is royal, royal wisdom. Verse 14, and know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will be cut off. That, that, that's hope for your family, hope for your kingdom, hope for your name and your legacy in your house, your, your name, everything about you. So don't forget that. There's a lot going on in Proverbs. Proverbs. Some of the context and application is really specific to Solomon and his sons. Some of it, we step back and we look at the principles and it applies to how we manage our day-to-day affairs. And some of it, we step all the way back and we see this huge backdrop of Proverbs. Fear the Lord. That's, That's the main message. Fear him like this. Fear him like this. Fear him. By ruling and reigning over your kingdom like this. Um, By the way, don't forget, we're still in the middle of 30 sayings of the wise. Start in chapter 22, goes to the middle of chapter 24. Then 24, we're going to see a break. We read it. Uh, Verse 23, these also are sayings of the wise. There's another verbal break. Uh, in, the, in the flow of the text. In chapter 25, verse 1, there's going to be another break. I mean, there's a lot of organization, a lot of time, a lot of effort has been put into organizing Proverbs in a certain way. And so when, when you read it, when you read any part of the Bible, you need to be on the lookout for these things. We don't just read it like we're reading a, an English assignment for class. I got to read this by tomorrow. Uh, done. That's not how we read the Bible. We read the Bible like, okay, How do we read the Bible? What are the three key words of reading the Bible? The fear of the Lord is always the backdrop. But when we read specific things, context, context, context. The tendency is to say, read the Bible and say, how does this apply to me? That is the wrong way to read the Bible. There are parts of the Bible that you can directly apply to your life. Love the Lord your God, love your enemies as yourself. Right on, yeah. But there are a lot more parts of the Bible where you need to understand it's not about you. It's not a, if, if we come to the Bible with the me first mentality or the me first perspective, me first application, then we become consumers. All we're looking for is a fix, and we miss God. That's the danger of the me first mentality. So how should we read the Bible? What what should be the first question I ask when I read something from the Bible? It should be this. What did the people think who read this the first time? That would be the original audience, or the original context. What did the first person to read these words, probably Solomon's son, take from this passage? He said, wow, being the king is a big deal. I need some help, I need counselors, I need advice, I need the fear of the Lord, who is is the Lord? Let me go to the temple, let me go to the priest, let me read the law. I mean, that would be the original hearer, right? He would read that and be like, whoa. It should be sober. You're talking about war and riches. I want to talk more about that riches part, Dad. Tell me about those riches. It's all mixed in there. It's part of being the king. It's part of the royal life, right? So it's going to war and putting your life on the line. Like, can I just have the one without the other? No. Original context. And then we might say something like, what does this mean in that period of history? Or what does this mean in that culture? about praying with your head uncovered or covered. Uh, What what does that have to say? And then last of all, we might say something like, okay, how do I take those principles from the original hearers and the original cultures and the original context, then how do I take those principles and apply them to my life? Do they even apply? Because they might not. Is there a direct application? Probably not. But there's always a roundabout application And when we go to the New Testament, Jesus helps us out and he simplifies a lot of it. Read your Old Testament and let scripture of the New Testament interpret scripture. We don't have to make anything up. In fact, we can just read the New Testament and get a really good vibe on what the Old Testament says because it quotes the Old Testament over and over and over again. The law, the Old Testament, is a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus. Beware As we're reading Proverbs, beware of the me first mentality. It is selfish, self-centered, picky, and deadly. It is not a good thing. So last week, write this down. Chapter 23, verse 17, envy not sinners, and the second point of that sermon was fear the Lord. Write that down, that goes in your bulletin. Envy not sinners, fear the Lord. When things are going well for the wicked, don't envy them. When things are going well for the wicked, when they are prospering, when they have power, when they have control, when they have good health and plenty of wealth and plenty of success, when things are going well in their families and their businesses, when things are going well for those who are evil, don't envy them. Don't envy them. They will lose everything. Jesus has a really important warning in Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, 36 and 37. Just jot that in the notes to the side. Mark 8, 36 and 37. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Rhetorical question, nothing. You can't give anything more valuable. You are the treasure. God wants you, your attention. So followers of Yahweh, you who say you fear the Lord, you have a better and more sure hope than any of the unbelieving, wicked, sinful people and we leave it up to God to do that final judgment and say who is who. We're not to be a people who are judgmental. Well, you're going to hell and you're not. You're going to hell. That is not our place to talk about and point fingers, you're going to hell. But we can't present, hey, listen. Listen to these characteristics of somebody who the Bible says is going to hell. And there there are lists of lifestyles and habits and hang-ups, and idolatry. We let the Bible speak. We let God do the final judgment. We are a people who do not envy sinners. We fear the Lord. Now I'm turning to 24, 19. 24, 19 says, fret not yourself because of evil doers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we have a new element added to this idea of envy not. It says envy not again, do not envy the wicked. But, but I, want, I want to spend a minute on that word fret. To fret is to wring your hands, to be stressed, to be a little, who, get a little sweaty. You fret, you're anxious, you're worrisome. It's, it's, you're. You can't rest. You can't focus because there's something bigger that is occupying your attention and your mind and your heart and your cares. You fret when you care a lot. Fretting can be good if it leads you to be protective of your children, if it leads you to lock the doors, if it leads you to drive carefully and put on your seatbelt. A certain level of fret, a certain level of care, it becomes concern and not anxiety. Anxiety is when you're, you're fretting, you're caring, you're concerned, it gets out of control and it just is eating your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It, it's just, you, you feel immobilized and you cannot function. Fret not, envy not. Why? Fret not over evildoers. So, write write this down. When things are not going well for you, do not fret over evildoers. Sometimes our attention is on those whose lives are going better than ours. Don't envy them. And here's the other side of it when our lives are not going well, don't fret. Don't be anxious. Don't have anxiety. And don't put your focus on other people. It is a trap. The wicked have no future. They will be forgotten. There's no future and no hope. Evil is not forever. Maybe you need to hear that again. Evil is not forever forever. Therefore, it should not forever make us anxious or worried or fret. And I've seen an interesting tendency in some people. Some people hide or mask their anxiety with hate. Well, I'm not going to envy or be anxious about the wicked. I'm just gonna hate their guts. I'm just gonna be mean about it. I'm gonna say mean things about them. I'm gonna talk bad about them, tear them down, bring them down. I'm just it's, it's this idea of like, I don't get mad, I get even, right? Or I'll forgive, but I will never forget. Like, okay, stop trying to make your anxiety sound appropriate. That's just putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound. It's not working. Or... F- <laughs> Or false celebrations. Man, I see this in football a lot. Somebody's losing 30 to zero on that team that's been skunked. They, they finally score a touchdown. And man, they are jumping up and down. And like, you're like, scoreboard. 30 to seven. Okay, yeah. I'm like, good job, guys. Like, right? You know, the coach is like, shut up, sit down, do the next play. And they're like, yeah, we scored. It. Oh, my stats are up. We're losing the game. Now, that. Sometimes we can over-celebrate something or celebrate that our enemy or the wicked or the evil, when they stumble, we celebrate. That's not right. We shouldn't do that either. Leave the justice to God. Write this down. Leave the justice to God and love evildoers. This is a prescription from Jesus himself. In Matthew 5, 44, the words of Jesus, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those are not the words you want to have associated with your friends or with your neighbors. Enemies curse you, hate you, despitefully use you, persecute you. Like those are the people we avoid, right? Those are the situations we don't want to be a part of. Those are the workplaces we step out of. We we call that toxic, toxic relationships and toxic environments. And you know what Jesus says to do in the most toxic environments? Don't lose your cool. Don't envy them. Don't be like them. And then don't fret about it, don't worry about it, don't be anxious about it. Jesus' prescription is love them. I don't know what that's gonna look like for you. For some of you, lovingly walking out, giving your two weeks notice might be the healthiest thing you could do. For some of you, staying put and continuing to do your job at the level that needs to be done right, in the right way, maybe that's what you need to do. Some of you, that might mean a, a very gentle and kind confrontation. I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> with a smile and with grace. Oh, here are some cookies, maybe some gifts to, 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 to pacify the rage. That, that's biblical, by the way. You know, A gift can, can calm some wrath. Sometimes we just need to shut our mouths and not say anything. That's a hard one too. When do I know to do the right thing? You pray about it. You read about it. You talk to other believers about it and you enlist their prayer about it and you just read the circumstances and you wait and you wait and you're patient and you're kind. Leave the justice to God and love evildoers. And this is exactly why Proverbs 24, 17 exists. Look at Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Wow, do people like to celebrate the failure of others. Wow, do we like to show when they got it, they deserved it, epic fail. Well, you shouldn't have been doing that. Hmm, Bless them that curse you. Proverbs 24, 17, in a nutshell, is saying don't be like the wicked. (laughs) They are rejoicing over your failure. They're persecuting you, hating on you, and they celebrate when things aren't going right in the life of a believer. If you turn around and celebrate when things go poorly for them, you're just like them. You've become the wicked. That's where loving your enemies breaks the cycle. Hello, every single one of you is in a dysfunctional family and you need to break the cycle. You need to be the one who's not a drunk. You need to be the one who's not an addict. You need to be the one who buries the hatchet and forgives and moves on. You need to be the one who raises their kids differently. You need to be the one who knows when to walk away instead of walk into the fight. You, you it's on you. Hmm. don't hate the wicked. Don't mock the wicked. Don't ridicule the wicked. Don't speak down to them. We are to be a people who speak the truth in love. And we are to be gentle and kind even when we disagree, even when we fight for the rights of the needy. We have to leave the final judgment up to God. And that's why verse 20 hits us with the biggest iron fist you could hit anyone, death. Why is it such a big deal to not fret over evildoers, to live a life of anxiety and be worried that they're getting away with everything? Why is it so tempting to envy the wicked, their success, their their, their riches, their families, their notoriety, their fame? Why is it such a temptation? Well, it's because we forget verse 20. The evil person has no eternal future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. That's how quick life can end. You ever blown out a candle before? Have you ever blown out a candle before? Does it take a lot of work? She's ready, yeah. I'm like, that's your life in a nutshell. And instead of mocking, ridiculing, hating, raging against people who are going to be put out by God, we, God has already told us to go be the light, to go be the salt, to go be the breath of fresh air. Not heaping judgment, but bringing forgiveness and grace. What they do with it, that's up to them. How God uses it, that's up to His Spirit. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to live the gospel. Our job is to love even our enemies. Verse 20 hits hard with that great enemy death because evil people have no future on earth. When it says lamp, lamp lamp, speaks of legacy, memory, heritage. Those who live a life of evil and wickedness will never be remembered when they're gone. And I mean in eternity. Some people might still make a statue to their wickedness or a plaque or a headstone. But in the new creation, when God wipes away every tear, only he is going to know about the eternal suffering of the wicked. I think part of our glorified state is being content, confident in God and his plan and not worrying about anything ever again. That's going to that's going to take a supernatural work. But that's how God is going to show us a kindness. In the meantime, weep for them and pour your life out for them. <clears throat> oh, one more thing about that lamp. You know, that, that, that royal language where Solomon is writing to his son. His family has a promise from God that if they will walk in the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... If if his family line will walk in the footsteps of David as passed on to Solomon, God has given them a literal promise that their lamp will never go out. That's real. So like first person reading this, Solomon's son, he'd be reading like, oh, the lamp of the wicked. Well, I don't want to be the wicked. I don't want the family line to end with me. Can you imagine the pressure (laughs) of, of one of the sons who's gonna become the king after dad? Be like, What? The family line is on me? Are you joking? Like, the weight of the covenant is on me now? Like, I gotta do this? Like, uh, yeah, have fun with that, kid. (laughs) Right? No, 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 no. Uh, He phrases it in such a way, God does, uh, that God gives them a hope. God said, the scepter or the rule, or the kingship in the the tribe of Judah would never pass away. There is going to be an eternal king from the line of David coming to rule. Even if some of those kings along the way messed it up, God said, I got your back, David. I got your back, Solomon. There will eventually, there are going to be some bad kings. Moses saw that, wrote about it. Samuel saw that, warned him about it. There are going to be some very bad kings, but it doesn't all rest upon the kings. God says, I have the final word. Do you trust me? So you have all these Israelites growing up in these different kingdoms. They're trusting in the king, right? But they also need to fear God. And God says, you fear me, or square. That's good, I'll handle the details. And I say all of that because Proverbs has this greater vision that all of us live as a people who are focused on the greater treasure, the Messiah. For them, that was looking forward. He is coming someday, he will come in the future. Now for us, we're on the other side of the cross. We look back to the promises of God. They were looking forward to the promises of God by faith. We are looking back at the accomplishments of God by faith. Did you get that? They're living by faith. We're living by faith. And it all comes to a culmination in Jesus Christ. You want to know why he's so fantastic? He is the fullness of God. He is the wisdom and knowledge of God. I can get a lot of these things wrong, but if I get that right, I'm good. Wow, what a breath of fresh air. I don't have to live by all these laws. I don't need need to keep track of all these regulations. Nope. You need to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength and pursue union with Jesus Christ. And then he's going to give you a heart that's going to want to do the right thing. Old Testament and New Testament saints are both saved by grace, through faith, and we call that the proper fear of the Lord. The proper fear of the Lord. We're all saved by grace through faith. And we end by looking at verse 21. In case you forgot, it was from a father to a son. It's even right there in verse 21. My son... Fear the Lord and the King. I've read that before, but it it only struck me for the first time this week. Be like, wait a minute, isn't the son he's writing to going to be the king? Yes, which means, (laughs) this is a dad telling his son, fear me. (laughs) Fear the Lord and you better fear me too. You need a proper, healthy respect for your daddy. But one more thing, Solomon doesn't have one son. Solomon probably has hundreds of sons and only one of them is going to be the king. So this letter, these proverbs, this wisdom, isn't just for the son, the chosen one. What, did, what do you think his siblings called him, Rehoboam, when they knew he was gonna be the king? You had to have some pretty cutting nicknames for him, right? Not fun. Not fun to be the one, till you're the one. but then he messes it all up. What a train wreck that guy was. So I can't even imagine growing up with that guy. Whoa, That did not turn out well. But Solomon has many sons, so he's writing. This is also to all of his sons. Fear the Lord, and trust me, kids. Respect, revere and honor even your brother as the next king. Like there are some can, can you just sense a little bit of the dad coming through there? I think he knows this thing is coming unraveled in a hurry because of all the women he's had, because of all the kids that he's had. He's invited nothing but pain into his life by living against what God said to do. God warned the kings, don't multiply wives. What has he been doing? Multiplying wives, multiplying sons. Sons fight, half sons, half brothers. That can get ugly in a hurry. I think he sees the writing on the wall. He's trying, my son, fear the Lord and whoever the king might be. So I find it fitting that his fatherly advice is to go back to the fear of the Lord, to acknowledge any authority that God puts over your life and to live by faith. God sees everything. One more way to say fear the Lord is simply fear God. So the next blank is, those who fear God live lives without envy because we are content with what God gives us. To properly fear God means you are content with what God gives or maybe even what God allows into your life. God will allow a certain level of misery and pain and suffering into your life. He will. It's part of the wages of sin for all of us. He will allow things into your life. To fear God properly means you will be content. That's the opposite of envy. Instead of envying, looking at what everybody else has, to be The fear of the Lord is going to make you chill, content, peaceful. And what would be the opposite word for anxiety? I was thinking about that this week, or fretting, and I came up with the word confident. Those who fear God live lives without fretting because we are confident that God will settle all accounts eventually in his time. Anything that seems unjust to us, God will take care of it. Anything that seems unrighteous, God will take care of it. Anything that seems undone, God will finish it. God will seal up, finish, perfect everything. Because I know it is in God's hands, I can be confident to live by faith right now not wringing my hands, not anxious, not fretting, right? Do you love group assignments? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I was the kid who didn't mind group assignments because I just looked for the smartest kid, made them in my group. And I was a minority in my high school, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> there were far more Asians and Hispanics. And in my AP classes, I just had to look. For, I didn't have to look very far. Even in college. Man, in college, I had this, um, it was a terrible class. Um, pre-calculus with an emphasis. I think it was an engineering. I was like, I, I am not an engineer. And we had to go to a lab and do all these experiments and have a ball and a string and measure it going on. And I had these three adorable... Um, little Chinese American girls in my class and they were, they were first generation in their family so they could speak some broken English but man, this math was cakewalk for them and I was struggling and I was in their group and I held the clipboard. It's, yeah, we passed. They passed I held their hand, (laughs) right? But I remember watching the experiments Uh, we were doing. It was complicated math. It was teaching us about friction and dynamics, and it was woo. God, very shortly after that, called me into ministry. The handwriting was on the wall. Uh, But I was never worried they, they were working formulas and calculations and they, were, they had rulers out. I mean, they were bringing their own rulers. They were like on it. They, they, were, they, were, they were so able. They showed such knowledge and strength and an ability that I didn't have to worry about anything. I worried about a lot of things in that class, but I didn't have to worry about that. When you have somebody on your side that can get it done, there's no anxiety, there's no fretting. In fact, I've talked about it lightly because it was fun, it was really fun. I from watching them, they showed me how to do that better than a teacher could ever have, better than, the, definitely better than the book did. I had no idea, they would be like, do this and this, I'm like, what? They're like setting up the rig, okay, go over here. Like, oh, and I'm like, whoa. When you're in the presence of somebody who's smarter than you, wiser than you, more capable than you. It should bring you confidence. You have God. You have Jesus Christ. He conquered sin. Even when he died, he conquered death. He rose again from the grave. Are we to be a people that fret Overmuch. no we are to be a people who live by faith and even when we don't know what to do we take it to God in prayer and we just get up the next day and do what he's called us to do to father to mother to work to school whatever he's called us to do we just get up confident I am where God needs me to be stand with me stand with me Right now, are you content and confident? If not, fear the Lord. I want to challenge you at the end right here to place your confidence in Jesus. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 13, two verses. I didn't even know they were back-to-back until I needed verses. I was looking at verses that went with, I looked up a verse for content, then I looked up a verse for confident, and they both came to the same place. I did it separately. Listen to this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Woo-hoo! God will never leave me or forsake me. I can be content because I have Jesus. He has me no matter what. Yes, content. But then the very next verse. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear or be anxious or fret or run away from God. What can man do to me? Answer, nothing that matters. What can man do to me? Well, they can hurt me. They can steal from me. They can can burn down my house. They can steal my car. They can take my life. No, 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 no. What can man do to you that matters forever? Nothing You are safe in God. Live with some confidence. Bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we bring our lives to you this morning and we say, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the confidence we can have and what He has done. Thank you for the contentment we can have because it is finished. You have paid the price. You have conquered the grave. You have resurrected to new life. Thank you, God, for Jesus and all that he has done in our place. Please give us some holy fire this week to fight against our sin and to say no to our envious, jealous, bitter hearts. Give us the contentment knowing we don't have to fight anymore. We don't have to want what other people have anymore. We have all that we need in Jesus Christ. Remind us of that all week, God. And may that show up in a confidence that you are coming back, that you are going to settle all things and we don't need to get everything done on our checklist. We don't need to invest perfectly. We don't need to raise our kids perfectly. We don't need perfect grades. We don't need perfect records. We don't need perfect anything because we already have a perfect Savior. Save us from ourselves, from our envying, and from our fretting so we can be content in you, God, and confident. That you're on the throne. Whew. Help us to live that out this week in Jesus' name, Amen.
3: Amen. What a name for the God of God who came, ruined sinners to. for today is from Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of scoffers, sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You are dismissed.